Merry Christmas, everyone. Great to see all of you. Because this is a, um, a special service, our lessons and carol service, we won't have our normal announcement time. We call it Life in Community. So instead of doing that, I'm just going to ask all of you, you can turn to the back of the bulletin um, on your convenience. You can review some of these things that are happening in the life of our church community. My name is Eric. I'm one of the pastors here. And that was quite a passage we heard read, was it not? Donald, thank you for reading that. Where'd you go? There he is. Uh, We chose Donald especially to read that passage because he's studying Old Testament and Hebrew. So we thought he'd put his education to work in reading all those Hebrew names. There were 41 names if you lost count. Can you imagine if I were to introduce somebody to you, somebody that you didn't know? I said, here's my friend. Um, I would like you to meet this person. Uh, Most likely, if I was introducing you to somebody you didn't know, I would say, okay, this is his or her name. I might say, this is their occupation. This is what, what they're doing in life. I would say, probably, here's where they live, tell you a little bit of the details of their life and how I am uh, in friendship or in relationship to this person. But what I would not do is say, here's this person I want you to meet. Let me read to you their genealogy. I'm going to start 41 names back and tell you who their great, 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 great ancestors are. Now, we would never do that in introducing somebody to each other, but here in the Gospel of Matthew... He begins the story of Jesus before he gets to the birth of Jesus. He wants us to introduce, he wants to introduce Jesus to us. And how does he do it with this genealogy we just heard read? Why does he do that? Well, at the very least, he's saying to understand Jesus, this person I'm going to tell you about, you need... To understand his birth, to understand his birth, Christmas, you need to understand first his family tree. This month, as a a church community, we've been looking at the book of Ruth from the Old Testament. Uh, this, This story, the book of Ruth, is a story of two people that are in Jesus's family tree. They're mentioned in Matthew 1, 5. I'm not going to ask you, did you catch their names? Because there was such a long list of names. But in Matthew 1.5, it said, Boaz fathered Obed by Ruth. The story of this couple, Boaz and Ruth, and their baby is told in the book of Ruth. It's in the Old Testament. It's a story of a baby who was born in Bethlehem. And this story actually ends with the genealogy. Then you have the Gospel of Matthew which begins with a story of a baby born in Bethlehem that begins with the genealogy. The story of Ruth, one of these stories in Jesus' family tree is saying, the more you know Ruth's story, the more you understand the background story in the family tree of Jesus, the more you'll understand Jesus, the more you'll understand Christmas and his birth. 
So for this morning's message, we're going to be looking at the very end of the book of Ruth. It's printed for you in your bulletin right here on page 5. If you're an outline person, the outline will look slightly different than what's printed here as we'll go through it this morning. But I want to read this because this is what you wanted to hear this morning, more Hebrew names, right? Ruth 4, this is the end of the book of Ruth, 18 through 22. It says, now these are the generations of Perez. Perez fathered Hezron, Hezron fathered Ram, Ram fathered Aminadab, Aminadab fathered Nashon, Nashon fathered Salmon, Salmon fathered Boaz, Boaz fathered Obed, Obed fathered Jesse, and Jesse fathered David. The story of Ruth. Um, If you haven't been with us the past four weeks, I realize that um, the story of Ruth may be new to you. We don't have time to recap the entire story, but let me give you the story of Ruth in brief, the story that precedes this genealogy. Ruth, the book of Ruth, is a story of two women. One was an Israelite who'd wandered away from God. Her name was Naomi. The other was Ruth, her daughter-in-law, who was a non-Israelite. She was a Moabite who came to faith in the God of the Bible. But the story goes that these two women, they lost everything. You read their story. Naomi's husband passed away. Soon after that, Ruth's husband, Naomi's son, passed away. These men died, leaving uh, these widows destitute and vulnerable in this land called Moab. And Ruth, the story of Ruth, tells us the story of how they're wandering, how their tragedy actually became a story of redemption. When God led them to Bethlehem and to a man named Boaz who became Ruth's husband, Boaz and Ruth had a baby named Obed who continued their family line. And the closing scene of the book, right before this genealogy, is a scene of this little baby Obed sitting in his grandma's lap, in Naomi's lap. It's a great closing scene that takes this story of tragedy and loss and gives us a scene of redemption and fullness and hope. So if, you're, if you were writing a, a script or if you were writing a script for the movie Ruth, you would probably end right there, right? Curtain closed, what a beautiful scene. The story has come to this beautiful scene of redemption. But instead of closing it right there, the author of Ruth says, no, I want to close with this genealogy. Well, Ruth's closing genealogy helps us to see why a 41-person genealogy is a great way for us to be introduced to Jesus. So this morning, what I want to do is take the genealogy of Ruth, connect it to the genealogy of Jesus, and ask, what can we learn about Christmas from these two genealogies? So let's do that. Let's first start with point one. Point one is the true story of Christmas. First, one of the main purposes of genealogies in Scripture, they're scattered throughout the Bible, is to show us that the stories of the Bible are history, that they are true stories involving real people and real events that really happened. If you read the story of Ruth, you read her story, it's a story of redemption, we might think, okay, this is a nice story. It's kind of like once upon a time there was a woman named Ruth. So there's a parable here. Uh, There's a moral lesson. 
But the genealogy here at the end of Ruth, when we get to the end of the book, says, no, you can't read Ruth like that. It's not a fable. It's not a moral lesson. It's a story of redemption that really took place in history. And its power is found in it being really true, that God really does work in the details and in the events of our personal lives. Now, this helps us see what Matthew's doing right here. Matthew is saying here at the beginning of the story of Jesus, here, what I'm about to tell you, as hard as it is to believe and wrap our minds around, it's a true story. The genealogy of Jesus places the central character and the central claims of Christianity into the genre of history. It's not the genre of fairy tale or myth. And so we get to the end of the genealogy of Jesus and we realize what Matthew is saying is that Joseph didn't father Jesus, but Mary was Jesus' mother. So a baby was born with no earthly father to a young woman who was a virgin. This is mysterious. This is hard to believe, but Matthew says it is true. The truth of the incarnation that God came to earth as a baby. Because it is true, if it is true, that the central claims and character of Christianity took place in the genre of history, then let me tell you, friends, this is a starting point for us. For some of our biggest questions about Christianity and some of our doubts, we come back to the story of Christmas. Let me give you a few examples. Some of our, our hardest questions, our deepest questions, uh, concern the problem of evil and suffering. How could a good God allow suffering and evil in His world? We come to the story of Christmas. We see that God doesn't answer this from afar, from a distance, but from within, as a human who experienced evil and suffering, who came in order to experience a greater suffering than we would ever know, coming to die on the cross. What about the problem of the hiddenness of God? Sometimes we wonder and we doubt, why is God so hard to find? Why is He so hard to reach? Why doesn't He make Himself more clear and plain? God answers this by appearing as a human being. That's as close as you can get. An answer to the problem of the hiddenness of God is God appears as a human being to show us who He is and His intentions for humanity. How about the problem of injustice? Why is there so much injustice in the world? Well, Christmas says God became a human being to become a victim of injustice, to address the problem and eventually bring full justice as one of us. What about the problem of human dignity? How can we find a solid ground for the equal worth and dignity for all human life. If Christmas is true, we have a, a ground for that, don't we? The God of the universe so values and dignifies humanity that He forever takes our humanity upon Himself in the person of Christ. Wow. This genealogy, this genealogy of Jesus shows us that our questions and our doubts that Christianity, first and foremost, it doesn't give us a philosophy to explain these questions and doubts. It doesn't give us principles to address and make sense of these. And it doesn't give us a path to follow 
So at the end of the path, we'll have it all figured out. Instead, Christianity gives us a person, a person at the center of it all, Jesus, God who became man. This doesn't mean the questions we face are easily answered. There is still much mystery in these questions. But God has addressed these in the most personal way possible. For me, speaking personally, if the incarnation was not true, if it didn't really happen, I don't think I would be able to be a Christian. Because the problem of evil and suffering, any answer would feel to me just very distant, very out there, very abstract. The problem of suffering would seem unanswerable to me. The matter of sin and evil and justice, there would be no real answer to that without the incarnation being true. One additional application. If the story of Christmas is true, then Christmas is not something we simply celebrate or commemorate on a yearly basis, like a story we learn from. Instead, it's history that we must conform our lives to. Let me share an illustration. For those of you who have children, if you've um, given birth to a child, if you have your own children, if you're grandchildren, if you've been around children, when a baby is born, it's definitely something you commemorate, right? And you celebrate every year. There's a birthday. You celebrate the birthday. You have cake, and you, you commemorate that occasion. But more than celebrate, more than commemorate, when a baby is born into a family, you better believe you can form your life to that baby. Your life will change. Now you are responsible to care for another human being. It's an imperfect illustration, but in the same way, the truth of the incarnation says, if God became man and entered into human history, Christmas is not a commemoration or a celebration. It's this great fact of human history that we all must conform our lives to and pay attention to. The true story of Christmas is seen in this genealogy. Secondly, there's a larger story of Christmas. So Ruth ends in this genealogy to show us that what God was doing to redeem her story, Ruth's story, very personal, in the details, was a part of a much larger story. It was a part of the story of what God was doing to redeem the whole nation of Israel and eventually and ultimately the world. How do we see this? Well, let me give you all a bit of background information. Ruth 1.1, if you have the book of Ruth open and you look at that, it says, this story took place in the time of the judges, in the time of the judges. Judges is a book of the Old Testament. It's right before Ruth, and it tells us the story of Israel spiraling away from God, further and further away from God, despite God giving them blessing. He redeemed them from Egypt. He placed them in a land. He gave them all kinds of gifts that they didn't deserve, and yet they kept spiraling away from Him. And the last verse, the last statement in the book of Judges says this, Judges 21, 25, in those days, there was no king in Israel. Everyone did whatever seemed right to him. That's the summary of the book of Judges. Instead of living under God's rule, they chose self-rule or autonomy. And this is where they began the spiral into injustice, into violence, into oppression and selfishness. 
And then comes this little story right after Judges, the story of Ruth, how there was this broken family that God put together through these small but yet extraordinary acts of of loving kindness, of faithfulness between each other. God saw that and he said, here's a family. I'm going to work in their family. I'm going to redeem their story. But this genealogy at the end of Ruth makes a connection between Ruth's story and that story of the judges by telling us that Ruth's story is a part of the story of King David. She's his grandmother. And David is God's greater answer to this spiral away from him. In David, God says, I'm going to send you a king, my people, who shows you what it looks like to live under my loving reign, a king after my own heart. He's going to bring you back. So in Ruth, this little list of names here at the end of the book is saying, everything that happened with Ruth, everything that happened with Naomi and Boaz was a part of a much larger story. And that's one of the main lessons of the book of Ruth, that God is at work in the particular details of each of our lives. But to understand what he's doing, we need to step back and zoom out and get the larger story. That's why the book of Ruth ends with the genealogy. It zooms us way out to the generations before Ruth and after Ruth. So we get a glimpse of the larger story. This week, I came across this story of one of the most famous pictures ever taken. It was taken on the Apollo 8 mission. This mission, I believe, was the first mission to send uh, astronauts to orbit around the moon. And there was this really incredible moment that they had when they rounded the moon and got to see this view of the Earth. The story goes that this wasn't a part of the flight plan. You know, astronauts have to stick to the flight plan. But one of the astronauts said, I need to get a picture of this. So he pulls his camera out, and this is the picture that he took. And as they were rounding the moon and saw that picture, one of the astronauts, another one, began reading from Genesis 1-1 in the beginning. God created the heavens and the earth. And this was broadcast and captured, and many people heard that. You look at that, and one of the first uh, pictures that zooms way, way out to our planet, to thinking about where we stand on that planet here in Orange County, California. That was a moment where people said, wow, we are on this little blue ball, like hanging in black space that's spinning and swirling throughout the universe. Wow. To see it, to see that zoomed out picture put things into a completely different perspective. I share that because in the same way as Ruth, Matthew is showing us to understand Christmas, we need to zoom out. We need to zoom way out. When we think about Christmas, we think about the manger and the nativity scene, and it can seem like, okay, there's shepherds here and animals. It's very nice. It's a very quaint little scene. But there's a larger story to Christmas that we need to see to understand its meaning for us. The genealogy of Jesus zooms out. Matthew 1.1 says, this is an account of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. 
the son of David, the son of Abraham. The son of Abraham? What's the story behind the son of Abraham? The son of Abraham, according to the Bible, was going to bring blessing to the entire world, to all nations. The blessing that was lost in Eden, the son of Abraham would restore that blessing to all peoples. What about the son of David? Who's he? The son of David will restore God's rule over everyone forever. Jesus is the one who brings these two things together, God's blessing for the whole earth and God's reign over everyone forever. That's the larger story of Jesus. According to the Bible, this larger story is what makes sense of all of our stories. We want the blessings of the son of Abraham. We want the blessings of God. But we don't want the rule of God over us. We want the blessings of the son of Abraham, but we could do without the son of David and his rule over us. But the story of Jesus says these two things cannot be separated. Just like it was in the time of Ruth, where everyone did what was right in his own eyes, that is a part of our story as well. We are in search of the blessed life. We want God's blessing, but we don't want his rule. We want the blessings of the kingdom without the king. That's the larger story. We're all looking for that. We're all longing for God's blessings, but we're all resisting and rebelling against the rule of God. This is why Christmas, God becoming man, is necessary for us to experience redemption in our stories. The heart of the Christian message is this. The essence of sin is man substituting himself for God, taking the throne from God and demanding his blessing. But the essence of the gospel is this, God substituting himself for man, God leaving his throne, bearing the curse in our place so we would have his blessing. The story of Christmas is meant to awaken in our hearts the longing for the blessing, but at the same time to show us a king whom we would say, I can surrender to one like that. That's the larger story of Christmas. One more thing about this genealogy. There's a true story of Christmas. If it's true, we don't just celebrate it. We conform to it. The larger story of Christmas, we zoom out to understand our stories. Now, the real story of Christmas. If you are online and you're surfing the internet and there's all these different like ads and clickbaits and stories everywhere and you see something that says the real story behind dot, 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 it's hard to resist that, isn't it? Because we want to know like what really happened with this person or with this movie. I remember when I was watching The Greatest Showman, I love the movie, I was like, oh, that's cool, like Barnum and Bailey and Ringling Brothers and all this. Like, I want to know the real story behind that. Like, was he really that awesome and cool? And like, did he really gather people together? And it was like this cool community. And I looked it up and said, the real story behind The Greatest Showman. And it turns out it was kind of um, a little more shady than, than the movie let off. So I had that let down. But that's, that's, how we, that's how we read stories. When something's too good to be true, it doesn't seem real. And we wonder, what's the real story 
behind this? What are they trying to hide? Why do I share that? Well, when we look at how Matthew used the genealogy at the end of Ruth, there are some big differences. I'm going to put them up on the screen. I want you to see this. He made some additions. And in doing so, I know it's pretty small, but he's giving us the real story of Christmas. In Matthew's genealogy, he added some things that are not in the genealogy of Ruth. I underlined some of the things that are distinct. He said, I'm not going to focus just on the dads like everybody else, just the fathers. I'm not going to give you the neat and clean version of Jesus' family tree. You need to know about Ruth. Yes, she came from a Moabite background, and you all look down on that. And you need to know about Boaz's um, ancestor, Rahab. She was a Canaanite prostitute. And back further, the ancestor Tamar, who had a son, Perez, actually with her father-in-law. And Ruth's grandson, David, the great David, the great King David, you should also know how he took another man's wife. You should know about all these stories. They help prepare you for the story of Jesus. Now, what's going on here? Matthew went intentionally out of his way to tell us these very real stories, real stories of prostitution, adultery, murder, deceit, lying, what we would call incest. He did not gloss over the sins of these fathers of Jesus. And instead of hiding the non-Jewish mothers of Jesus, he highlights them and says, yes, they were outsiders, they were widows, they were abandoned and lost and neglected, and you should know about them. Instead of glossing over the hard-to-explain parts, the parts everyone else would have left out of the story, the ugly parts, the sinful parts, God highlights them in the family tree of Jesus. Why? Well, let me share an illustration that I hope explains this. Uh, at Christmas, during this season and in our culture, we celebrate it, and it's a very nice, nice time of year. We have to be nice. We have to go to, like, Christmas parties and office Christmas parties or our spouse's office Christmas party, and we have to be nice to all these people and feel very nice about it. And we get Christmas cards. We love Christmas cards. We hang them up um, on our wall. We have a whole wall dedicated to it. But sometimes with the Christmas card, you get a letter or a summary of what's happening in somebody's life. And usually you just go, oh, that's nice. Like a lot of nice stuff happened in their life. And you all feel just this very nice and warm feeling. What if instead of our nice Christmas cards, we said, next year, we're going to send real Christmas cards. We're just going to tell the story of what happened this year. I don't know what would be on your real Christmas card, but there'd probably be some really good things on there. There'd probably be a lot of hard things on there. Loss, anxiety, fear. You put your moments that you're not very proud of, Hopefully somebody didn't take a picture of it to put it on your card, but if you had the picture there, here's a picture of me losing my temper at my kids. Merry Christmas. The reason 
Matthew gives us the real story of the family tree of Jesus is because God is saying in Christmas, He says, send me your real Christmas cards. Christianity is the most realistic of all belief systems because it says here in this long, long genealogy, the story of Jesus, men and women can do nothing to get them out of this story of brokenness and sin and loss and grief. That's everybody's real story. Christianity says we're going to call it as it is, even in the family tree of Jesus. This is real life. It's the most realistic of all belief systems. It's also the most hopeful of all belief systems. Because in Christmas, God is saying to us, I am coming into your real sin and brokenness. I am really taking it upon myself. And one day, you will be really free from it all. That is the real story of Christmas. And that is something that should give us great hope. Amen. Let's pray. Our Father, thank you that you really know us. You know what's really going on. Thank you that it's real and that it's true that you know the particulars of our story and this larger story that you love us even though we are broken, even though we fail and stumble and fall short. That you so loved us that you would send your only son so that all we have to do is trust in him and we would receive the life we were meant to live, eternal life in Jesus. I pray uh, this morning for all of us. May this Christmas be meaningful. May you meet your people. May you meet us all where we really, really need you the most. May we be deeply encouraged, pushing through the surface of sentimentality that we would really meet you and you would pour fresh grace, mercy, and hope into our lives. We ask it in the name of your son, Jesus. Amen.